Welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. Helping you invest in property for freedom, choice and profit. You'll learn new, innovative and multiple streams of property income. Whether you want to start, scale or systemize. And even if you don't have deposits. Hi, Kevin McDonald here and welcome to the Progressive Property Podcast. And on this week's episode of the podcast, I'm joined by Malcolm Ridley. Now, Malcolm's come down to meet me from the Northeast to share about his property investment journey. He's been doing some amazing stuff in property over the last few years. So let's get straight into the interview and hopefully this will help you and inspire you to maybe start or scale your property journey. So Malcolm, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Um, So just for anyone who's listening in, where, what were you doing, I guess, pre-properties? What was life like? What were you up to? Uh, pre-property, I was working as a commercial manager. I'd been previously a project manager, working in engineering mostly. Okay, when in engineering, so I obviously had an engineering type background. Oh, yeah. So many different types of things. Um, what type of engineering and what type of, in what sort of company? All right. Um, and my last employment was with Network Rail. Okay. So I was working on the um, infrastructure of the railway and predominantly based around the training for 30,000 staff. So I was doing the commercial management for the training division. Right, so really that's like, um, if it was anything like the company I was in, that's like 60, 70, 80 hours a week or something. It is, yeah. Yeah. It was a very grey existence, catching a train into London in a grey suit with a grey briefcase. I came home and I looked grey. My wife (laughs) used to say, you're turning grey. What's going on? But it was a horrendous environment, but ah, well. How, long, well how, many, how many years were you doing that for? I probably worked for Network Rail about eight eight years. Okay. And then other jobs before yeah, that? Yeah, prior so. to that was Jarvis, and prior to that was other construction companies, right. and and also railway signalling companies. Right. And so, then you thought about property during that period of time? or Definitely. It had been something in the back of my mind about the possibility of owning some properties in my retirement, because many years before that I was self-employed. Right. And had some pension provision, but it wasn't great. And I thought... Property is the way forward to create a pension. So obviously you're from the northeast, but you were you said training to London. You were living in in London area. Living in Reading at the time, right? And commuting every day. Okay, wow. So, um, the, did you take the step into property at all while you were in that corporate job? Or yes, I uh, became an accidental landlord at one point because my my uh, father-in-law and mother-in-law, uh, their next door neighbour, passed away, and we bought the house next door. And we were going to plan to have that as a little base in the northeast where both my parents and her parents were living. And we thought it'd be really convenient to have a property next door to um, my wife's mum and dad. And we can use that as a base when we visit the northeast, which we did quite regularly. Um, so we did it up to a, a standard with a solid oak kitchen and all this sort of stuff. We never stayed there very long. <laughs> And uh, in the end, we thought, do you know what? This should just be let out. So we let it out, and um, my wife's father sort of kept an eye on it, as it were. But we let it out through an agent, so he wasn't being troubled. We yeah. used an agent. So, so it so started you, you there. put solid oak kitchens in and then let yeah, it out. Yeah, <laughs> for tenants. <laughs> <laughs> so a bit of an overspending. Well, yeah, I guess so. I wouldn't have done that nowadays, of course, right. but yeah. So... Um, what made you then think? What was the sort of moment where you thought, Do you know what, I want to, I want to really give property a go? Well, my my daughter went up to university in Leeds, and when she was just about to move into a flat with her boyfriend at the time, now her husband, 
I said, how much rent are you paying? I said, I can't believe you're paying that much rent. Go and find me a property. I'll buy it and that'll be my pension. When in due course, I need to have that income from other tenants or sell it later on. So that was my commitment into property. I thought, I'm not going to allow that to happen. Yeah. I need to buy that property. So we looked at, they lined up two or three properties and I chose one and we bought it and they rented it from me and paid the mortgage. Now they were just covering the mortgage because I wasn't going to exploit them. But they were happy, I was happy. I gave them three grand to furnish it and um, that was the start of their little journey. And uh, it became a serious investment then. I thought this is the way forward. Yeah. How many kids have you? Uh, I've got a son as well. Are they into property? They, well, there's a, there's a story about my son joining me in property um, shortly afterwards. When, he, when my daughter and her boyfriend moved out of the flat and moved on, my son moved in because he went to Leeds as well to study. <laughs> he went to the Met and uh, my daughter went to the uni. So he occupied it for a couple of three years with two or three of his mates and then it got rented out. And um, I think he realised then at some stage property is the way forward. We used to talk about it quite a lot, but we never got involved in it. Yeah. And several years later, um, we sat down and had a serious conversation about starting up a company and doing some work. And then we started to look on auctions and we thought, hmm, this is possible. And then we bought one at auction. And we were very, very lucky. I'll come to that in a minute. But we bought it. Um, it was an old 1950s style semi. And it was on the site where a V2 bomb had landed during the war wow. and demolished a couple of villas in southeast London. So it was a nice street. And the properties on that street were like four stories high and probably six bedrooms. And they'd wiped out two of them and they'd built eight semis in this plot of land. So we bought probably the worst house on a really nice street. That's where the look came in. And my son and I worked on that together. We did all the analysis before we went to auction, what our ceiling prices would be. And we got beat thousands of times, or it seemed like thousands of times, and eventually the hammer dropped and we looked at each other, oh my goodness, we own a property. <laughs> oh no, where do we go from here? But, um, so we thought we'd do a 50 grand refurb and put it back on the market and flip it out. Well, that didn't quite happen that way. We ended up spending 150 on it. We bought it at auction for 320, and then when we dressed it, when we finished it, we sold it for 640. Wow, so how much profit about? 170 grand's profit. Not bad. Yeah. That was your first venture into professional <laughs> yeah. investing. Yeah. Yes, bad. it was, yes. Um, we had to remortgage and raise funds on our family home. And, mm. and actually, the, one of the, the flat in Leeds that we bought for my, for my daughter to live in initially. What year was that? The, the, the one in London? The one in London. We bought it at auction at the back end of 2000, 2011. Right. And we sold it in 2013. Okay, wow. So 170 odd grand in two years? Yep. Not bad. Better no. than an average UK salary, eh? It certainly is, <laughs> yes. So it, there was two things there we learned. I learned anyway. Don't do all the work yourself. Yeah. That's really not a clever idea. And we did do the vast majority of it. It kind of helped when I came to specify work for other contractors later on. But I wouldn't recommend you do all the yeah. work. And the other thing is buying the worst house on a good street. 
that massively made a big, big difference. Now you said you got lucky. Why did you say you got lucky? Because we bought the worst house on a, on a really good street. We could have made some really bad decisions because when we went to auction, we were offering on properties which we would never have got a mortgage on, but we didn't realize that at the time. Right. So if we'd have put down, if the hammer had fallen, yeah. we wouldn't have got a mortgage because there was no kitchen, no bathroom, but we didn't know that. Yeah. So we were lucky that we didn't get another property at auction, which we would have never got a mortgage on because we probably lost our deposit. And this is the difference between education, I guess, and understand what you're doing and not knowing what you're doing. Absolutely. So on the back of that, I realized that what we needed was education. Right. So I so. chose to invest in education. Right. But you had, you, so number one is, I guess, a lot of people I meet that have done well, a lot of people I interview on the podcast, they, they always talk about the luck they had along the way. And I always say luck is labor under the correct knowledge or, or sometimes yeah. labor under the non-correct knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> but if you don't, something Rob Moore always says is if you don't risk anything, you risk everything. So well done, I guess, for taking the action and going doing it. And then for realizing you needed to, if you want to scale this thing up, I guess you need to yeah. know how to do it in the, the right way. Mm. Um, so you got yourself some education. You did that help? What did you? What were the sort of main differences that gave you in terms of knowledge? <clears throat> I guess and well, picking up the knowledge was was one thing. But picking up the confidence to take action is something completely different. Yeah. The mindset that you need to go through, the shift from being fearful and cautious and risk averse to getting on and doing it and finding out, my goodness, I can do this. And moving a mindset from, I'm not sure if I can, to one which I'm not sure what I can't do now. After doing 170 grand profit on your first deal, did would that not give you, or did that not give you the belief, I can do this now? Why did you feel, oh shit, I need, was it all the, the things that could have gone wrong that made you feel? Yes, it was right partly time? that. And there was, a, there was a few changes in my life at the time because shortly after um, finishing the flip in London, the relationship with my wife failed and we separated and then divorced. And so I was on my own then. And when you're on your own, it's a lonely journey. And so having some education was one thing having the confidence to take that step when you're on your own, it can be a bit yeah. daunting. But with the help of a mentor to guide and, and su supply you with the um, little bit of energy that you need between your ears to make things happen, um, yeah, a, a, lot of, a lot of the barriers inside my mind disappeared. Got, disappeared. And um, we, we got through some stuff. I mean, the mentor said to me, Look, I'll come accompany you. I'll accompany you on your viewings. Will you arrange some viewings in your investment area? And I'll come up and we'll do them together. We'll analyze the numbers, and then we'll put some offers in. So I didn't know this was remarkable at the time, but I um, arranged a lot of viewings in one day, and we viewed 28 properties in one day. Wow. But I didn't know that was remarkable. Were they all next door to each other? They were quite close. <laughs> they're all in one city and they're all, I'd become aware and knowledgeable about this city. Yeah. So it wasn't difficult. You could what cross. City? It's the city of Sunderland. Okay. That was my investment area. It still is my investment area. Um, and the numbers worked. They yeah. really worked really well in terms of purchase price and rental income. Okay. So what sort of, over the last few years, what sort of deals have you done? What have you worked on? Um, just tell us a little bit about where you've come to. 
Okay. Um, well, a lot of the properties I've bought have been in the portfolio have either been from estate agents where I've established relationships and rapport. Once you've bought one and they know you're serious, then they're interested in presenting more opportunities to you. Yeah. That was one avenue of acquisition. And then I found auctions really helpful too. Um, one or two bargains in auctions. I might, um, one of them I bought for 50 grand. It's a two bedroom semi, massive garden. Um, spent about 10 maybe on it for the refurb, perhaps 12 maximum. And then um, rented it out and it rents out at 500 initially per, uh, per month. It's now up to 550. Um, tenants have stayed there. There's not been any change to the tenants. And um, I've remortgaged it and got the vast majority of my money back out again and gone again. So that's well, the, well after so you bought it for fifty, spent about ten, twelve doing it up. Let's say sixty-two, whatever. What yeah. would it have refinanced at? What would the value be after the refurb? Um, not much higher. Yeah. Sixty-five initially. 65. It's been remortgaged again mm. at seventy. Yeah. I'm not really trying to take out equity yeah. anymore. I'm trying to build equity in the property portfolio now as I go forward. Got you. See, I, we got a lot of people listening and they, um, they, they may be in the south and they're thinking, oh, it's easier in the north because what, what they'll pick up maybe is, oh, you got a 50 grand house. You can't get a shed for 50 grand where I am. <laughs> However, the reason I want to touch on that is you, you bought a 50 grand house, spent 12 doing it, pretty much doing it up, which is 62. And now it's worth 70. So you created about eight grand, yeah. But you did a deal in London and made one hundred and seventy grand. Yes. So sometimes, what would you say? To, what would you say to people who are maybe in London, thinking they can't make any money in property because they're in London and they need to go to the north? I mean, one hundred and seventy grand profit on one deal, you could probably buy the north. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say in general, and and I'm not currently up with all of the market changes, but in London you can probably make money on flips. Yeah. But you have to buy very carefully at auction or off market and make sure you've got the ceiling price for the street and you can work it to that level. So the flips in London, you can make capital. If you want to make uh, cash flow, then probably not London, probably the Northeast yeah. or the Northwest or even Wales. Hi, it's Kevin, just interrupting the podcast to let you know that there is a completely free report on buy to let property to help you either start or scale your property investment business. It is available in the descriptions. You can go and download it completely free. It can help you to get started in property, get your first buy to let property, get you moving on your property journey on that road to financial freedom. So go now, download it from the descriptions and enjoy the read. Now let's head back to the show. This is so important for people to understand is a lot of people say I can't do property in my area or property doesn't work in my area. Well, it does work in your area. It's just the technique you're trying to use maybe the wrong technique for your area because the strategies that will work everywhere and it's pick the right one. And I guess you've done both. You've done the, the flip type strategy in the south yep. and you've done the whole strategy in the north. Yep. And it's getting the right thing for your area so that you know your area you touched a lot on knowing your areas what tips would you give to people about how to research their area learn their area and learn what maybe is the right thing to do where they are for me it really worked having a good rapport with letting agents and i don't mean high street letting agents who have people who attend work and don't pay a lot of attention to their clients i'm talking about small independent 
self-employed letting agents who stand and fall by what they do each day. Mm. Their whole income stream is dependent upon the relationships they form with landlords. They are the cream, and if you speak to them and establish the right rapport, they will educate you into the right areas. Mm. And I have found and maintained a terrific relationship with my letting agent who tells me stories and listen hard to the stories. If she says, oh, I've just done a viewing and there were a queue of people outside the door. Which area is that then? I want to know. I want to buy everything in that street. Everything that's moving in that area. She said, they're such a nice group of people as well. They'll reorder the queue and say, hey, Mary, you know what? You, your need's greater than mine. You go in ahead of me and have a look at that property because if you don't want it, then I'll have a look. But you have a look first. And this is for rental. Yeah. And I'm thinking, that's crazy. They're queuing up in the garden to view the property. I want to buy on that street. But that kind of knowledge comes from the rapport you build with yeah. your letting agents. And the local agents, quite they, the independents, quite often they've got maybe a few buy-to-lets themselves as well. So they're not just an agent, yeah. they're an investor. While the high street agents are often just in a job. In a, yeah, as an employee, they, they arrive at nine, go home at five. Whereas a letting agent who's independent, they're taking phone calls at midnight mm. about HMOs getting raided and broken and fi- needing fixing. And that's their livelihood. And they know how important it is to manage that issue and get uh, give a good service to uh, the landlords. So you've obviously um, had that corporate job for years, working long hours, oh, the, yeah. the grey the job and then getting into property. <clears throat> um, do you, what would you say to people who are maybe listening in at the moment and they're in a busy career where they're thinking, you know, I don't have enough time to get started. Uh, I'm working 60, 70, 80 hours a week. What sort of advice would you give them? There's t- a couple of things they could do, and I wouldn't advise that they just simply give up their job and move straight into what they think is a new career in property. But what they could do is joint venture with somebody who's got the time and the local knowledge, and they can work with somebody and learn from them. And I'm working with a couple of people at the moment in my area. Um, some have got no money and you know, no, no money and no time. And um, others have got money but no time. Yeah. And you think to yourself, how can I help them? So you find a way of helping them. Mm. But I would say that if you've got a corporate job, you're earning good money, you're able to save, don't give it up immediately, but learn from somebody who's experienced in that patch, yeah. who can share their knowledge, and then you can migrate when the time is right. When you've built a little portfolio, you've got enough cash flow coming in, and then you can jump. That's one of the great things about property is collaborating with people. Absolutely. So, so when you say you're working with people at the moment, so what, what's your role in that and what do they bring to the table? <laughs> well, mostly it's informal chats. And I spoke to somebody just yesterday morning um, who I'd first met in 2014. Right. They've been following my career, as it were, and as a graphic designer. And he's, he's been self-employed, but unfortunately, he's been very poorly. Because when you're self-employed and you're poorly, you've got no income. Yeah. So he's realized the strength of having a passive income from property. So he was, he's been researching. I've advised him to come on progressive courses. He's done the Misopi, and he's coming on your course very soon. Right. for no money down and that's his starting point but I'll just guide him I've got myself some homework to give him in terms of right well when you're doing your numbers this is how you crunch them yeah 
if you're doing a, a viewing, this is the features you need to watch out for. Uh, you know, view the property systematically, top to bottom, and come up with your own refurb costs. And, yeah. and work your numbers. So I'll guide him through that process. He's got to convince his wife that it's something that they want to release equity on their property, but that's normal. You, you obviously, when you started in the copper job and stuff, you were living in London. Yeah. You're now living back in the northeast. Yes, indeed. Um, I now live. It's a little story, this one, because I now live in a property which I originally purchased to flip, and I acquired it off market. It was um, it was through a, a link that was created a couple of years back. Because you know this principle of tell everybody what you do. Yeah. So I tell everybody what I do, and I tell them to tell everybody what I do. And my builder was in the um, in benchmarks, the kitchen suppliers. And he was just chatting away. He says, "Oh, I'm doing this project for this guy, and he's got, you know he's buying lots of properties. Oh, my sister is selling her property. She's in Dubai at the moment, but my father Norman's got the keys. Shall I give you his number? Guess what? I got Norman's number." Went to see the property. The property was um, an average two-bed semi, nice garden, and um, it had previously been rented out unsuccessfully by you know tenants who let down, let let the landlord down. And she was just about to get married, but I didn't know this at the time. Right. And um, viewed the property, made an offer. I said, all right, I'll offer mid seventies for it. And a couple of Weeks later, he says, oh, um, sorry, a couple of days later, he said, oh, I've accepted a higher offer because somebody's put in a high... I said, well, look, higher offer's going to come. If it doesn't come off, then do give me a ring. You've got my number. And a few weeks later, I got the call. Oh, I didn't go through. They didn't get the mortgage. All oh, right. Well, would you like to make your offer again? Would you still honour the offer? Oh, well, that was a little bit less than you were looking for. Yeah, but will you come? I'll have another look then. So I went and had another look. Then the story emerged about his daughter getting married over in Dubai. And this property was in negative equity. And he said, she really needs 80 grand for it to clear the equity down. I said, right. Okay, deep breath. Why don't I just offer you 80 grand? That'll clear your daughter's debt. She can get married without having this legacy, this negative legacy hanging over her. And the guy said, what, you'd do that? I said, well, why wouldn't I? So let's just do that. So I paid 80 for it. I could have paid 75. I could have probably not bargained down even lower. But well, anyway, just, I just paid 80 grand for it. I said, by the way, we're not going to bypass the agent. The estate agent has to be part of this. They need to earn their commission. You'll have to look after that. But let's just do the deal. Well, it was only a couple of, you know, it was a month, month later, some other family member had a property for sale. And guess what? Norman had the keys. So Norman phones me and says, would you like to look at this property? Yes, please. So we went along, had a look at it. And this was a three bedrooms, mid terrace. They want 75 for it. Let's just agree 75 then. Let's just agree that. What, you'd do that? Yeah, let's just take it. Oh, that's big help. Thank you very much. The family will be delighted. Right, let's just do that. And then I get phone call after phone call after phone call. So I think I've been offered five properties already through Norman's Got the Keys. And now the property that I'm working on now is one of those. And I bought it to flip it. So I got, got the deal going and I bought this two bedroom semi for 80 grand, 82 grand. 
Um, and immediately I got the deal done, I went and got planning permission to extend it upwards and outwards into four double bedrooms and put it back on the market with planning gain. And um, it was mar being marketed for 125. And I said to the guy, look, I'll take 118. I'm not greedy. Um, 118 is fine. He says, well, you'll get 120. Just get what you can. I'm not. So it was sold. Then the relationship with my girl, I've, there's a bit so of a... That, that deal first, that would make what, about 30 grand profit? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So this is so important for anybody listening, it's the people business. So just by helping out in the first deal, he's ended up with five. And I see so many people and they're trying to make all their money on one deal, as if it's the only deal they'll ever do. But it's what, by squeezing somebody for too much on the first deal, what are you missing out on in the future? And I'm going to come back into that story in a moment, but there's something really important I want to ask you about, Malcolm, is a lot of people are out there looking for these 80 grand houses and they're going, isn't it great Malcolm can buy it for 80? But they're trying to buy these houses, what they think is below market value, and buy them for maybe 60, 65. But that's below asking price. Mm. Market value, you've seen the ability to get planning gain, change the house. And it's so important if you're listening to this, watching this, that you're, you're not trying to look at the asking price and go below the asking price. Your job as a professional property investor is to understand the true value of what you're buying. And quite often, I do similar to you, is I'm buying houses for what they want for the house because of the opportunity that what you can create from it. Yeah. So I just want to make sure the audience understood that so that they're not thinking, oh, it's great for Malcolm, he can buy it for the asking price. No, he's seeing the opportunity of adding value. That's the key here. So, and that comes from understanding the right knowledge around property. But back to your story, go. All right, um, so I split up with my girlfriend and this house is on the market and I'm thinking, well, where, where, where am I gonna live? Um, actually, it's got a really good big garage, good workshop, mm, I can get my camper van in there and another car. Perhaps I just should buy, I should change that, take it off the market and make it my family home because I need somewhere to live. And why shouldn't I live in the same sort of quality of house as my tenants do? For years I've lived in all kinds of places because I think as an entrepreneur, you've kind of got to go through a couple of years like nobody would want to yeah. to get to the point where you can live comfortably mm. for as many years as you like, like a lot of people can't, would like to live. Yeah. So I figured it's now time for me to have this house. So I'm busy working through and refurbishing it. And it'll probably have an end value of about 145, 150 by the time I finish with it. So that's where I'm at at the moment. I'm kind of in the middle of a refurb and living in the middle in of the, the refurb. In the refurb, yeah. yeah. Brick dust everywhere. The, the joys of property investment. Yeah, but it'll, it'll clean up. I'll get there. But is it better living in the middle of a brick dust refurb are traveling on the train with the gray suit oh. and the gray briefcase in and out of London. Oh man, every single time it's got to be better living in the brick dust than traveling in a gray existence in and out of London for, a, all right, a good salary, but not much of a lifestyle. People talk a lot about um, why and, and why people do things and, and your why. And obviously you've, you've, you've now gone, you're full-time in property? Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely, so, yeah. Li can live comfortably from property? Absolutely, yes. So what, why do you keep going? What's your driver? What's your big why? Well, my why, initially, my why was I need a retirement income. I need to be live comfortably in retirement. And I've done that. And now it's all about a legacy for my grandchildren. So now 
I need to, well, I don't need to, but my why is to provide a future for my grandchildren and make sure that if they go to college or whatever they do, they start off with a little bit of a leg up, as it were. I know that when I went to college, there were grants available, and so it didn't cost my parents any money. And um, I went to college, fortunately, free of charge. Didn't cost my parents or me anything. Nowadays, it's all student loans and this sort of thing. So people start out with debt. And if they don't go to college, then at least they've got a deposit for a property and they can get them on, on the property ladder. So it's all about my grandchildren now. Awesome. What about, what's next for you once you've got this refurb done? What's, um, are you going to keep buying yourself? Are you going to keep growing for that reason? What's the, what's the exit for you? Well, I'm now 69. You're 69? I'm now 69. If you're watching this, you're listening to this on a podcast, you can't see this. What you need to do is we will put this on the Progressive Property YouTube channel. You need to go and watch it on the Progressive Property YouTube channel because he does not look 69. <laughs> he looks like my brother. <laughs> well, thanks, Kevin. But uh, the truth of the matter is I didn't start really seriously investing in property in my portfolio until I was 61. So I don't think it, you're ever too late yeah. as long as your mindset can be tuned in to what you need to do. But I want to I'm, I'm go on to that for one moment because I just thought of something. I had a post on, literally I did a YouTube video yesterday and somebody commented on one of our YouTube videos saying, um, I'm 52, am I too old to do property at 52? And I answered no. the question yesterday, but I would like you at the age of 69, starting at 61, to answer that question for him because hopefully he's listening. <laughs> Listen, it's never ever too late to invest in property. Okay, you might have, you might like me think, I wish I'd started 20 years earlier, but it's never too late. Um, providing you've got the right mindset, you can do it. The answer is you can do it. Awesome. So back to your 69, what's the exit? Well, I kind of now need to just inspire and help young books who are trying to get started in, in the property world. And I'm enjoying spending time with them and encouraging them and showing them how to do the, the donkey work, getting the, getting the comparables properly done and working out the refurb costs and ch chunking the numbers to say, right, well, what do you need out of this? How do you get that out? If these numbers work, then go for it. If they don't work, just don't go anywhere near it. You select your area based upon the income stream that you're looking for and the percentage return on investment. Awesome. For people looking to catch up with you, um, to reach out to you and stuff, how can they find you? They can find me on my website via my website, which is halproperty.co.uk. So H-A-L. H-A-L property. .co.uk. So halproperty.co.uk. Cool. Um, are you on social media? Uh, yeah, on Facebook. You can connect with Malcolm Ridley on Facebook. Right, so Facebook, halproperty.co.uk or Malcolm Ridley on Facebook. Or you can just go up to Sunderland and just ask anyone on the streets where Malcolm is. They all know him. So, yeah, Malcolm, really appreciate you coming in and sharing your journey with us and your successes. And I'm sure it'll inspire not just the young people starting, but also those that are maybe looking to get started later this in is life true, as well. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I've been watching your journey the last couple of years, which is awesome. And he is out there inspiring people and helping people and always has time for you if you want to reach out and get your questions answered and stuff. So really appreciate you coming in. I think the audience is going to absolutely love this. So guys, you've been listening to the Progressive Property Podcast. I've been Kevin McDonald. He's been Malcolm Ridley. You've been awesome as always, and I'll see you next week.